Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, we are wrapping up our slate of guest speakers with Wes Nelson. Wes is an elder at Bethesda Church and a familiar voice to our church pulpit. Today, you will hear a message entitled, What is Discipleship? We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Wes. See the front of your worship folder, your bulletin. What what does it say? What is discipleship? Because I walked in and Skip forgot to give me one, so. <laughs> He's too busy talking. He'll shake my hand, but he never leaves anything in it, so. Really, what I wanted to title it was Rabbinical Discipleship in First Century Israel, but Ellis said it wouldn't fit. And most of you couldn't read it. So, it was probably two months, maybe three months ago. I don't know, it was way early in the morning. It was dark, and the alarm went off. And for like two minutes, if that, it seemed like eternity, because I was trying to find it and shut it off before I woke anybody up. But I heard some preacher, teacher, pastor that I have no idea who he was, and he was talking about this. And in that eternity of trying to turn it off in the dark, trying to find the right button, I heard enough that made me think, wow, this is pretty good if it's true. You know, because not everything you hear on the radio is true. You can read it on the internet, and then you know, but... And so that week, I went to the internet, and I started researching this and found out, you know, if this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy are saying it, then, then maybe the guy I heard was right and continue to go to sources I know and trust. And, and it changed the way I see the Gospels. Because suddenly, some of the stories we read about concerning Jesus and his disciples, suddenly it's not such a mystery. Suddenly it makes so much more sense. And so as we start out this morning, what I want to do is just give a brief history of what put us into the the Jewish mind in the first century concerning discipleship. Because what we think of it is something altogether different. And then from there, we'll go to two or three, maybe four passages of Scripture, because if we do an exhaustive search, we'll be here till three, we'll take a break for a late lunch, and we'll come back at 4.30 and be here till 10, and we'll start up again next week and do the same. I can't do an exhaustive search, so we'll look at two or three and let you do the exhaustive search this week on your own. And then you can't do anything unless we've got some points of application where we go home and we say, This is what changes as a result of what I know. Really, the whole concept of discipleship was concerning and surrounding rabbinical culture. Big word. Hey, it's the culture of the rabbi. And in Jewish culture, the rabbi was the teacher of the law and the prophets. You go to Jerusalem, there's a rabbi on every corner. Some good, some not so good. 
Jerusalem was the center of worship for the Jew. Every year you were supposed to go to the temple at least once. And if you lived out, the further away you got, the more important the rabbi was because there would be synagogues. And a synagogue was made up of at least ten devout Jewish men. And maybe one of them would serve as the rabbi or maybe they would then hire a rabbi to come and serve their synagogue. And every Saturday, every Sabbath, you would go to synagogue and you'd bring your boys and they would go to Sabbath school where they would learn to read and write in Hebrew, where they would learn the Torah, the law of Moses. And by this time in the first century, they'd also be instructed heavily in the Talmud. The Talmud was the, the oral tradition of the Jews. And by this time, it had been written down. And that's where, you know, for each of the Ten Commandments, you would have a volume of 1,500 pages plus to make sure that you didn't violate one of the ten, you kept 1,500 pages worth of stuff to keep you from breaking the biggie. But as a young boy, as you went to Sabbath school and you learned to read and write Hebrew, as you learned the law and the prophets, as you approached the age of 13 when you would have your bar mitzvah, your symbolic rite of passage from childhood to manhood if you showed particular promise. If you were exceptionally intelligent. If you showed an uncanny understanding of the rabbi's teaching, then, maybe then, somebody would encourage you to take the huge step to go to your rabbi and on your knees and on your face you would hold his ankle and you would beg him for the opportunity to be his disciple. No rabbi worth his salt would ever ask anyone to follow him. That would be Bush League. I don't need followers. I'm not going to ask somebody to do this. And if the rabbi, looking down at this trembling, scared, 13-year-old, 14-year-old boy, begging him to be his follower, if he saw the same promise in that boy, if he thought that this young man would improve his legacy, then he would agree to allow him to be his disciple. 99.9% .9 of the time, the answer was no. Because someone more talented or smarter or better than you may come along next year. And I want to make sure I have room for him. And if the answer was no, which was mostly the case, then you went home and you went to work in your dad's trade or you hired yourself out as an apprentice to learn another trade and you went on with your life. Every Jewish mother and father hoped that maybe one of their sons would be considered worthy of being a disciple. It was a great honor. It was a great privilege. It was a heavy responsibility. 
What were the expectations of a disciple? Well, the follower agreed to any and all terms as laid out by the rabbi or the teacher. You have to eat half an egg every other Tuesday if you're going to be my disciple. So you'd mark it on your calendar. Now, I don't know if that was ever one, but whatever the rabbi said went. He set the rules. The follower was expected to wrestle with and come to terms with Scripture as it was being taught by the rabbi. As he wrestled with the Scripture, as he came to terms with what it said, then he was expected to live it out as the rabbi had taught it. Questions were welcomed and debate encouraged. Now, a rabbi wouldn't have just one disciple. There, there may be several. And as you'd read, there, some of these debates and these discussions would rage <laughs> for months at a time, discussing this particular point of theology. However, when the rabbi finally said, this is what it is, discussion stopped. It wasn't argued. It wasn't debated. It was accepted as fact and, and, and lived out from that point on. There was no set curriculum. You didn't have a book or a set of books that you went through and studied. It was daily life lived out. As the disciple, as the follower followed the rabbi, he watched how he acted. He listened to how he spoke. He saw how he reacted in situations. The goal was that the followers would learn discernment. Not easy, formulaic answers. Not the little cliche or the bumper sticker slogan. But they would learn discernment by watching their teacher, their rabbi, live. Belief was more than intellectual assent. It was more than saying the sky is blue, the carpet's blue with whatever other colors are in it. I believe that because I... No. The disciple, it was not just saying, okay, I believe it because you said it. The disciple, the follower would say, you know what? This is an act of submission on my part. I may not get it, I may not like it, I may not want to get it, but because I'm your follower, I'm your disciple, I take what you say is true. It's an act of submission. The follower's life was to conform to the rabbi's interpretation of Scripture. And really, it could be condensed, and there's, there's more to it than that, depending on the rabbi and this and that and the other, but there was really four biggies that as a disciple, it was understood. It didn't have to be explained. They didn't have to, well, maybe they'd have to be reminded, but it was there front and center. One, there had to be like this consuming, overwhelming desire to learn. You wanted to know everything about your leader, about your rabbi, about your teacher. 
You wanted to know how his mind worked so that when you were in situations, your mind would work the same way so you could do the same things. It was just this overwhelming passion to learn. There was a complete submission to the rabbi. You didn't question the rabbi. When he said, this is the way it is, this is the way it is, shut up and do it. Put your head down and go with it, with a smile, if your rabbi was into smiling. It was understood that you would emulate the rabbi. What the rabbi did, you did, to the point of walking like the rabbi. I read some anecdotal stories where there was an ancient, ancient, you know, 80 to 90 years old. Sorry, Willard. Um, But this old rabbi, worn out by time and age, shuffling, because that's all he could do, his back bent and his head bowed, and behind him followed his six disciples, 13 to 20 years old, strong, able to run and jump and do whatever, walking behind the rabbi, shuffling, back bent, head bowed. They were his disciples. They were going to walk like he walked. Ridiculous to the point where one follower, one disciple, snuck into his rabbi's own bedroom to see how he was intimate with his wife in order that he could even do that correctly. I think that goes beyond into very creepy. But that was the level of commitment a disciple would have to their rabbi. So if you're like me, as I'm reading these things, as I'm studying these things, as I'm discovering these things, there are scriptures coming into my mind. And there's a big light bulb burning brightly above my head as I think, oh, so that's why. No wonder that happened that way. Hopefully, you've had some thoughts along those lines, scriptures or stories or or instances from Jesus' life or his followers' lives. Oh, well, that makes more sense. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22, It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. In the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father, and followed him. Why would these guys leave a successful family business? What are they doing? It's a familiar story. And suddenly it makes sense. Why would they follow? It was a great honor to be a disciple. Because you were considered worthy 
Why wasn't Zebedee losing his mind when his two boys left the business? Because now this is a great honor for me. Not only do I have once, and I have two boys who are following a rabbi. But you notice what is completely contrary to the rabbinical code. Jesus said, follow me. That doesn't happen. You can't do that. Is it any wonder that those in the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the other rabbis were ticked off at Jesus? He asked his followers to come. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, Jesus heals a guy, and as he passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in his house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. So in light of the culture here, not only is Jesus calling guys to follow him, he's going to the guy you would never let your daughter date, a tax collector. You'd rather see her get married to a hog farmer than this guy. And yet Jesus not only calls Matthew to follow me, he goes into his home and eats with all his filthy, rotten, dirty buddies. And the Pharisees see that. It's like, what is going on with this guy? And Jesus hears it. And notice, as a rabbi taught, as the teacher taught, you were, you were to go and wrestle with Scripture. And he's telling the Pharisees, the brightest and the smartest and the most educated experts, go and figure this thing out. Go wrestle with this. You don't have all the answers. <gasps> That's our job to tell other guys. Nobody tells us to wrestle, to go and learn. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples. You're going to be my ambassadors. What you've seen me do, I'm not giving you the authority to go out and do it. 
As he gets down to verse 34, don't fool yourself. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And here Jesus is telling his disciples, the guys who are going to emulate him and follow him and do what he does. He's saying, it ain't going to be easy. Right now, everybody loves Jesus, minus the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. They're disciples of the most popular guy in all of Israel right now. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's not always going to be like this. Following me is not easy In Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, you know, he, he feeds the 5,000. He sends the disciples on the way while he goes up to pray. And he says, I'll be along later. And as they're struggling to get across the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, all of a sudden they see Jesus walking on the water. And they're a little bit disturbed, or a lot. They were terrified and said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. I've heard lots of messages on this. They're all pretty good. But what's significant? Why would Peter say, if it's you, tell me to get out and come to you? As a disciple, you did what the rabbi did. And if he's walking on water, I'm his disciple, I'm expected to walk on water. And so that's what Peter did until he looked around. In Luke 6, 40, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when fully trained will be like his teacher. In John 15, 18 through 21, Jesus tells his disciples, Hey, if the world hates you, you're in good company. Hated me first. Why would you expect any less? You're my disciples. The disciple is linked to the rabbi. The follower is linked to the teacher. They can't be separated. Read the book of Hebrews. Suddenly much of that takes on new light a new meaning for me. 
The entire book, the entire letter is about showing the supremacy of Christ in all things. He's the best. He's the greatest. He's the end all. He's the be all. And as such, why wouldn't you follow the greatest and the best and the be all and the end all and live your life in such a way that would honor him? So to wrap things up, which means another 40 minutes, no. To wrap things up, hopefully you go home and you read in the Gospels and you look for what I missed this morning. And this week you say, well, I would have said this instead. Good, say it next time. Remember it. Hopefully you're excited to get in and tear in. And renew a passion for God's word. But what to walk away with? Well, here's three to start, and you can figure out the others. Hey, it's good to wrestle with Scripture. There's no shame in that. As you read through the Gospels, how many times are his disciples, Jesus' disciples, arguing amongst themselves? And we think, what a bunch of knuckleheads. And yet they were doing what was expected of a follower. Wrestling with what they were learning. What is this going to mean? How is it going to look down the road? What's more, it's good for us to let others wrestle with Scripture. As dad, it's way easier to jump in and say, this is what it is without allowing my kids the chance to think it out and wrestle with it. I have a friend of mine overseas right now, and, and some of the emails we exchanged, he's wrestling with some stuff, and part of me is thinking, oh my goodness, he is so, if he chooses this way, he, you know how far off he can get if he, go, uh, if he follows that line? And I'm, you know what? I've got to trust God to be big enough to answer his questions. And as he wrestles with it himself, it becomes, when he is, does have the answer, it's going to stick much more so than someone else telling him what to think. We allow scripture to change us and mold us and shape us and we need to point others to scripture and encourage them to read it and study it so they can be changed and molded and shaped by it. It's good to wrestle with Scripture. We need to remember who asked who to be a follower. I didn't come to Jesus with all my list of stuff saying, this is what makes me a potential candidate to be your follower. He called me. Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's not interested in what we can or can't do. So he says, I'm going to take care of that anyway. Come follow me. 
I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, and I'm not special in and of myself. Jesus Christ makes me worthy. Jesus Christ makes me good enough. He provides what's special in me. He called us to follow him, not the other way around. And finally, if if I'm a follower of Christ, my life should be marked with humility. He has the final say. He has the final word and who I become and what I do and how I act with what I say, with who I surround myself with. I'm to emulate his example and learn to live as he lived. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.